Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see you. I want you to all know it is a privilege and a joy to be, be here and to come and share God's Word with you. Um, we do have several new people in the class, and so um, last time we were together on Tuesday night, we went off course. We, we got away from what we've been studying, but tonight we're going to get back into that. And so what I want to do for the new folks in here, I want to quickly review this um, sheet of paper. It's called Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, let's go turn, well, you don't have to turn your Bible because I already have the verses out here for you. I want you to look really quickly at Luke chapter 24, a couple of passages in Luke chapter 24. Now remember, this is right after Jesus has died. He's been buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And now um, a couple of his disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus, and then he stopped, so he walks right in between them and starts talking with them along the way. And so that, that's the first conversation. And then in the second paragraph, the second scripture is when he goes into the upper room where his disciples are hiding out, and he has a conversation with them as well. And I want you to notice and fo- see how, we, how Jesus focuses their attention. Look what it says. It said, Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So, think about this. See, these two disciples are on the road. And it, Jesus calls them foolish and slow of heart. They were sad. They were very sad because they were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and save them and make them kings of the world. They were going to rule and reign over all of the world. The nation of Israel was going to rule over all the Gentiles. And Jesus, uh, the Messiah was going to be on the throne. And, and, of course, a couple of the disciples were arguing about who was going to sit at his right and his left hand, remember? And what they didn't realize is, is that it was through his suffering that he would become the conqueror. Through dying, he conquered death. And they couldn't see that. And what he he chided them and he called them foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. And it says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? So what Jesus is implying from this is the prophets talked about the Messiah coming and suffering. If any of y'all have ever read Isaiah 53, you will know what it is. That's one of the the suffering servant, right? It's a prophecy of what he's going to do when he comes. And so it said, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scripture. So remember, when Jesus was talking to these two disciples, there was no such thing as Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, because none of those books had been written yet. It was going to be about 30 to 60 more years before any of the New Testament was written after he ascended into heaven. So when Jesus teaches the disciples from the scriptures, he's actually talking about about Moses and the prophets, right? <coughs> when Paul would go into the synagogues and reason with the Jews and the God-fears, he would reason with them from the Scriptures. Remember? That Jesus was the Messiah. And he wasn't using Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, because none of those were wrote. What he was doing was he was going back into the Old Testament, Old Testament and he was showing them that Christ was the revelation or the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. And so Jesus tells his disciples that this is how you study the Bible. Look what it says next. He's talking to his disciples and up and says, Now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And so it takes the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God, for us to be able to reason and understand the Scriptures. We have to have a new regenerate heart. We have to have the Holy Spirit living within us. And then Jesus opens our ears and our eyes and our minds so that we can understand these truths. What did that line mean uh, by then he opened their minds to understand? Did he he give, like, in the Holy Spirit? Well, just explain it further. No, he. what he does is he expounds on those Old Testament scriptures. He opens their minds to go, oh, I see it. So let me give you an example. Now, this, I, I wasn't in the upper room, so I don't know exactly what he taught. But, you know, the book of Psalms is a book of songs. Like there's songs, just like we just had praise and worship here for 30 minutes. Well, the Psalms is the Jewish praise and worship manual. Like that's what they sing. And so Jesus, even as a little kid, would have went to the temple and sung, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, he'd have said it in Aramaic or Hebrew, but the point being, it would have been probably been Hebrew. But the point being is, Jesus, as a child, grew up singing that song. Just like me and you are used to hearing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves the rest of Jesus would have grown up listening to Psalm 23. Well, just before they nailed him to the cross, he stared into the face of a bunch of men that hated him, and he told them, he said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. And what he was doing was he was referring that he's the shepherd of the Old Testament. Like, he's the true prophet. He is the one that comes and takes care of his sheep. And so what Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's going back and he's showing them all of the Old Testament scriptures, and he's opening their minds up. So that they can understand that the Old Testament is about him too. Good, good, yeah, exactly. And so um, maybe now you grasp why I want to teach this class. Like this is what I've been teaching in here for like two years now. We've been doing Christ in the Old Testament. Why? Because and we'll see. Look, 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 look what it says next. Why is it important to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Number one, Jesus taught his disciples this way. We have such a tendency as New Testament believers to forget that the Old Testament is just as applicable to us today. It reminds us that God always keeps His promises. We know His will through it, right? So we don't go sacrificing sheep or anything anymore. But the Ten Commandments are just as binding on me and you today as they were on there. They're the the expressed will of God. And so when we read the Old Testament, we need to understand that the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to Malachi, from Malachi to Revelation, the entirety of the Bible, see what it says next? The entire Scripture is theocentric. Or you could say it's Christocentric. What do I mean when I say it's Christocentric? What does that mean? It's about Him. The whole entire Bible is about Him. And one of the bad habits that we have as as young immature Christians is who do we make the Bible about? Us. Us. We try to find us in there. Like, where's my blessing? Where's my... It's about me. And in reality, it's about Him. And if we ever learn to focus and see Him in all of the Scriptures, then we we grasp the beauty of the... and the scope of the whole story. He's there all the way from the very beginning. And we'll see some of that tonight in this passage we're going to look at. So... um, not only did Jesus teach his disciples this way, not is the entire Bible Christocentric, but Jesus is God, and he's revealed himself to us through the declaration and the fulfillment of his promises. So all through the Old Testament, the promise was the Messiah would come, he would die, right? And he would save his people. Has he done that? Yes. 
So in the same way that that the Jews were looking forward to this Messiah to come and save them, in the same way me and you today as Christians are looking forward to Him coming and saving us too, right? Like He's already saved us spiritually. Like we've been sealed in His salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. We're children of God. But there's going to come a day one day when faith will be sight. Like, like we'll have a new glorified body. We won't get sick anymore, right? We won't have to struggle with addiction and diseases. We won't, get, we won't have to deal with any of that anymore. And so in the same way that we can look back on the old promises and see that He kept each and every one of them to the T, then that gives you and I confidence that He's also going to keep the promises of the future as well. And it helps us to see the big picture. It is so easy for me to get, you know, as a, a New Testament believer, to get caught up reading the gospel, and they're beautiful. I, I, I actually teach a class called uh, A Harmony of Gospels, where I go through all four gospels and do the life of Christ in a chronological order. Like, it's the story of Christ. But the whole Bible is the story of Christ, and it, we have to learn how to appreciate that. That's the way he taught. And so, that's some of the reasons why we teach this class this way. Now, really quickly, some of the ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament, and we're going to see some of these tonight. Number one, we see Jesus in genealogies. A genealogy is a family tree. Uh, most of y'all have probably tried to read the book of Matthew or the book of Luke, and you got to that passage that says so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and, and you knew about three people in that whole list, right? Well, the reality is if you go back into the Old Testament, all of those people are listed in there. Their stories are in there. And once you've got the Old Testament story and got a grasp of it, then the New Testament becomes clearer and makes more sense, right? You see? And so, you know, it says... It says um, who said the wife of Uriah the Hittite, you know, in one of the genealogies talking about Bathsheba. Well, if you know the Old Testament, you know who Uriah the Hittite is, and you know who Bathsheba is, and you've read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 where David cried out and asked God to forgive him for committing adultery with her, right? And and the reality is it, it makes the picture more complete. It helps us to be able to see him in all of the scriptures. And so a genealogy is a family tree. And so in the book of Luke, if you follow that genealogy, where does it go to? Anybody know? For, it starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to where? Let's look at that together really quickly. Let's look at the genealogy. Luke, in the book of Luke. Now remember, Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And so what's important to Luke in his genealogy, this would be in Luke chapter um, 3, verses 23 uh, when Jesus uh, himself was about 30 years old, being, as supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mattatat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchizedek, the son of Jenna. All right, I wanna, I'm not going to read all of those, but go all the way down to, let's go to verse 35. The son of Sirach, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Helio, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So where does the genealogy go back to? All the way back to Adam. And that's very important. Remember, because you're going to talk to a bunch of liberal theologians that are going to tell you that Adam is just a figurative story about how creation got started. There wasn't really an Adam. And the problem with that is Adam is at the root of Jesus' family tree. You take Adam out, you cut the tree off at the roots. Right. At, Jesus had to be a son of Adam 
because Adam was the one that sinned and Adam had to pay for his sin. Jesus had to be the son of Adam. But look back at verse 34. The son of Jacob... It's Luke chapter 3, verse 34. Uh, Yeah, look at this. And this is where we're going to be tonight if we ever get there. It says, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So, Jesus is the great-great-grandson of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. And so now when you go back and you read the story of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, how many of y'all like the story of Ruth? What was Ruth's um, uh, husband's name? Boaz. Boaz. And what was their baby's name? Well, let's look at verse 32. <laughs> the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Oh, there, there she is. Huh? Oh, there he is. The Boaz. There he is. So, yeah, and so when you go back and you read the story of Ruth now, it makes a whole lot more sense to see that God was preserving his seed all along. That promise was being kept through the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree. I've got to say this, Ronnie. I've read this and I've read this and never even <coughs> made that connection. Well, I praise the Lord. We'll give him all the glory for that. Thank you. All right. So, genealogies. We see him in the genealogy. It's all tied together. Every bit of it is tied together. Okay? All right. Um, next, we see him in prophecies. A prophecy is a foretelling. All right? And so, Isaiah 53 would be a prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to do when he comes. Right by his stripes we are healed, and we know that he got stripes when he went to the cross. Right, they lashed his body. Right, so the prophecies, types and shadows are another way we see him. Foreshadowings or hints of the coming one. Think of things like the prophets, priests, kings, altars, sacrifices, tabernacles. Now we're going to see a sacrifice tonight. How does a sacrifice remind us of Jesus? He is the ultimate sacrifice. So all of those Old Testament sacrifices, every time the priest would go in and put blood on the mercy seat in the tabernacle, it was pointing the Jewish people to what needed to take place in order for them to be forgiven for their sins. But what the book of Hebrews tells us is the frustrating thing for the the priest in the Old Testament was every year Yom Kippur had to go back in there and do it again. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. It was the blood of the perfect sacrifice. So all of those Old Testament sacrifices simply point us to the one true sacrifice. Okay? And so um, if any of y'all ever get a chance, if you read the book of Hebrews, what the book of Hebrews is is basically taking all of the Old Testament stuff and saying, well, you know, you had Moses, but Jesus is better than Moses. You had uh, uh, the priest, but Jesus is the high priest, the real high priest. You had all of these temple worships, but Jesus is what all of that stuff was pointing to. So for you to go back and, and grasp hold of that old way of worship again is futile when you have the real thing. So these types and shadows only can help us to see the coming one. He had to come to fulfill all of those types and shadows. So we'll see some of those type prophets, priests, kings, altars, sacrifices, tabernacles. We see them in repetitive themes. One of the things we'll see tonight is the seed. There's a there's a there's a, a theme of the seed. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about seeds? Well, if acorns make, make oak trees, and and a man has a seed. If you're born of flesh, you will be flesh by through a man. If you're Good. born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He is. 
Very good. And so, so, so check this out. We can look and see a, a prophecy, a type, and a theme. All three of those in Genesis 3.15. Flip back there really quick and look at that. Look what it says. This is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Genesis 3.15. Somebody want to read that out loud for us? Genesis 3.15. And I will be, be into me between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And keep on. And what's it say? Crush your head and you will strike his heel. All right. So he said, all right, devil, you you the one that tricked her. You, you devil, were the highest of all of the created order. Yep. Right? The highest of all creation. There was nothing higher in all of creation than Satan before he fell. He's perfect. He was the high. He was the highest order of creation. Nothing was higher than him in all of creation. He was the archangel. That's the highest. And he fell, and now he's crawling around on his belly. So he went from the highest to the lowest, and now he's a serpent. He's crawling around. And what does this say? The Lord said, because you've done this, because you caused the man and the woman to fall, cursed are you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you go, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. I'm going to put a hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So the firmament is pretty much like separating him from any kind of love at all. Yeah. He says, I will put a hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So what it's saying is, Satan, you're going to have your seed. What's the devil's seed? Cain would be one of the devil's seed. Good. So it's all of the children of Satan. The, the devil's seed would be anyone who is... is Not of God. Not of God. Not a child of God. We'll, we'll see that in a minute. We'll go look at that in just a second. But he says, I'm going to put a hatred between you and your children and the woman and her children. The woman and her seed. Now the problem is, is that all of mankind is born from a man's seed. But this is saying one day the woman's going to have a baby that's going to crush the serpent's head. It's just going to be her seed. Right. It's just going to be the woman doing it. How, how, from what? From the virgin birth. See? So it's a prophecy of the virgin birth to come. All the way back at the very beginning. It wasn't like Adam and Eve eating that fruit caught God by surprise. He wasn't pulling his hair going, oh, what am I going to do with this mess now? The plan was already in place. He said, okay, devil, now that you've tricked them, he said, one day that woman is going to have a baby that's going to get you. And not only that, the devil has always attacked babies, hasn't he? What did he do to Pharaoh? What did he do through Pharaoh? Mm -hmm. Tried to kill all the little Hebrew babies. Why? Because he knew that the Messiah was coming through him, and if he could kill him before he got here, he could stop it, right? Right? What about Herod? When Jesus was born, what did they do? They killed all the babies. Oh, right? trying to kill the babies. Kill the seed of promise. All right. So um, that would be themes and types and shadows. Really quickly, let me show you what I'm talking about about a seed of the woman. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. All right. <clears throat> Famous verse, uh, John 8, verse 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Have you all ever heard that verse before? Yes. All right. If He sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, I know that you are Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants, right? Or Abraham's offspring. Um, different Bibles use different words, but it's all talking about the seed. Yes. See what Jesus says to them? I know that you are Abraham's kids. 
Yet you're looking to kill me because my word has no place in you. What does it mean to say they're Abraham's children? What nationality would that mean? Race would that make them? What a human race, but what uh, ethnic? Jewish. Jewish. If they're Abraham's kids, they're Jews. Or they could be Muslims, couldn't they? Because all of Ishmael's kids uh, were were of Abraham's physical descent. So, but the Jews not only thought that they were Abraham's physical descent, they thought they were special. They thought that they were better than everybody else because they were Abraham's kids. But look what Jesus tells them. They answered and said to him, Abraham, or he says, I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things that you heard from your father. They answered him and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Oh, you're Abraham's kids? Well, if you're Abraham's kids, do what he did. What is Jesus talking about? What did Abraham do? <coughs> Genesis 17 says Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So what was it Abraham did? Nothing. He had faith. He was a believer. What made him a seed of the promise? His faith in God. He was born of a spiritual seed. Remember last Tuesday when we were here together I was telling you how faith is a gift from God. It's an implanting of the seed of promise in you. You're regenerated. You become a child of God. He adopts you into his family. He makes you his kid. You see? And that makes you special. You have earthly parents. Adam and Eve is your mom and dad. Now, that's not your direct mom and dad. I don't have your birth certificate, so I don't know what their names are. But way back down the line, Adam and Eve is your mom and dad. But when Jesus adopts you in his family, he makes you his kid. You see, now you're of the seed of promise. Isaac was of the seed of promise. Ishmael was not. Jacob was of the seed of promise. Esau was not. Saul was of the seed of Abraham, but he wasn't of the seed of promise. David was. Well, how do we know that? Because David believed God. He had saving faith. You see? So what, it, what typifies a child of God? They have faith, and they do the same thing Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed. Now, was Abraham obedient? Yep, we're going to see that in the passage we're going to read tonight. He's very obedient. But why is he obedient? Is he being obedient to earn faith? No, he's being obedient to express the faith that he has. So, in John 8, verse 38, when he says, I speak the things which I've seen from my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you're Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But, as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. Abraham heard the truth and believed it. You see, that's what Jesus is saying now. Now they said, you're doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they're claiming to be children of God. And you know what they just said to Jesus? We're not born of fornication. You know what they're saying now? What does it mean to be born? Yeah, you're a bastard. And you're going to come in here and tell us what to do? Your mom had you out of wedlock. That's what they're saying to him. You were doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now look what Jesus says to them. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. 
For I proceeded forth from him. I come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why can you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. I want you all to notice what he just said right there. Jesus said you cannot hear my words. He didn't say you will not hear my words. They they literally physically and spiritually cannot hear the truth of God. Why? Because they're Satan's seed. Yep. They can't hear it. You cannot. He didn't say you will not. They can't walk in the spirit. No, they can't. Why? Now they're claiming to be children of God, but really all they are is physical descendants of Abraham. Yeah. See? And he said this. Jesus said. If God were your father, you would love me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. I want every one of you in this room to realize this. If you are in this room today and you truly are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, it is because someone spoke the gospel message to you and the Holy Spirit used the preaching of his word and the power of his spirit to change your heart, allow you the ability to hear his truth, receive his truth, and believe his truth. He made you his child through adoption. You see how that works? That means you're special. And it's not special because you chose him. You're special because he chose you. And God don't change his mind. Why did he choose us? That's a great question. So, you'll hear people... So, the reality is, who, who... Which one of us... Uh, which son of Adam deserves to be chosen? Nobody. None. It's through his grace. Why does he choose us? Because he's a gracious and a merciful God. And this is what he says in Romans 10. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will harden whom I will harden. Mm-hmm. It's God's mercy and God's grace. Nothing we do nothing we can do. That's exactly right. That's important to remember. It's not it's like it's like the other day I, I've really been thinking about it and I wrote this down because a lot of stuff we do for ourselves like look at me I believe in him not a lot but it, everything yeah but it, but I've, I've really been thinking on it and it's like not look at me I believe in him it's like look at him I believe in him good you know? and the rest of your life is about dying to you and living for him yes. and it's not easy we don't like to die guys no right I, you know, most people, when they even when they start to get gray hair, they put something in their hair to keep people from knowing they're dying. That's what gray hair is—you're dying. Like, we like to stretch our skin out and put Botox in it, and we like to go to the gym and work out, and we like to be fit and healthy. Why? Because we don't want people to remind us that we're dying. But if you don't think you're dying, you can try this. Just try this little experiment: no shower, no deodorant, no toothpaste for about three or four days, and no no clean clothes. Just wear the same clothes. And then not only will you know you're dying, but so will everybody else in the room, because you're dying. And we wash it off every night when we get some soap and try to convince yeah. ourselves we're not. The sicknesses that we have is a fact uh, effect of the fall. And so, so gee, let's go back to this eight. 843, why can you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my words. You Now, here's, here's what I, the point I was trying to make. Look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Wherever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All right? 
So what did he say? If you're you're a chip off the old block, you act just like your daddy. Remember we said Cain was set up the seed of the serpent? What did Cain do? He killed it. You are a liar and a murderer. He killed his brother and God said, where's your brother? And what did he say? I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. He lied about it, didn't he? Yep, he knew. Right? You are of your father. You are a murderer and a liar. And that's what he's telling these Jews. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Um, He says in verse 45, But when I speak the truth, you do not believe me, which you convicts me of sin. Verse 47, He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason you do not hear him, because you are not of God. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? So, I got a question on that. Like, who was he speaking? So, he was speaking to the Jews, but this echoes throughout time. Is it? I mean, because if we're born of sin, if we're born of... Um, if we're born of sin, does that... Because we're born like prideful. We're born like... like like, like in nature, we are like primitive, like yeah, no doubt, creatures. But if we like pretty much, if, if we die, most y'all in this room struggle with addiction or drugs and alcohol, right? <coughs> well, you know, the, the liquor made me do it. No, it didn't. It just exposed who you really are. So is this that? Is he? Is he? It just shows you who you really are. Is what it does. This is who we are until we're adopted. Good. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. He said, "Yes, ma'am." Not until his grace begins to work in people's life. Now remember, how do, this is the way that the gospel works. How beautiful are the feet of those who come sharing good news. So the gospel goes out. And who are we commanded to share the gospel with? Everyone. 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 Does everyone receive it? No. No. Why not? Because some can't hear it. Some are still dead in their trespasses. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2. Remember? You were dead in your trespasses and you were walking according to the course of this world, walking in the power of the prince, power of the air, the spirit is now working in the son of disobedience. But God, who was rich in mercy, even when we were dead, has made us alive together in Christ. So what happens is, is through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is regenerating his people. And it happens every day. And it happens in weird ways that we, we can't understand. And every one of you in here are a testimony of that if you are truly a believer. I, I can't look into your heart and know who you are. But if you're in this room today and you truly are a child of God, it's because somebody preached the gospel to you and the power of the Holy Spirit drew you to Jesus. Yes? I think there will be a day where people are not going to be able to hear about the Word of God. Well, yeah. So, one of the ways that I like to think about it is, so you know on the last day, Jesus promises that his angels are going to go out to all four corners of the earth. They're going to separate the sheep from the goats. What does that mean? They're going to divide up his seed and the devil's seed. And where is the devil's seed going to go? All of them going to hell. And where is his children going? They're going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth, right? Well, that's really going to happen. Like on the last day, that physically is really going to happen. Everybody's coming out the ground. Every uh, child of Adam that has ever lived, from Adam to the last person when that trumpet sounds, is coming out of the ground. And his angels are going to separate the sheep and the goats. That's really going to happen. 
But right now, today, spiritually, it's beginning to take place because the word angel means messenger. Now, angels are spirits, and they're really powerful spirits, and they're real, like just like demons and angels are real. But an angelos is a messenger, so a preacher could be known as an angel. Not a spiritual angel, but sure. one carrying a message. All right? So what's happening? That message is going out where? Every day they're translating the Bible into a new language. We're trying to reach the whole world with the gospel, right? And so what's happening? That message is going out to all of the world. And people are hearing it, aren't they? They're receiving it. They're believing it. They're becoming children of God. So in a sense, spiritually, that separation of the sheep and goats is already kind of starting to take place, isn't it? It's physically really going to happen, but right now, spiritually, it's actually happening. Make sense? Sure. Okay. <coughs> we'll never get through any of this tonight. So, y'all, okay. y'all always help me chase good rabbits, I guess. All right. So, we see him in themes. We see him in theophanies. A theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of the coming one. All right. So let's let's uh, let's apply this now. Let's go to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at the story of the sacrifice of Isaac, okay? We will not have enough time to really delve into it deeply. I do hope that you will read it on your own and get what you can out of it. Um, So we're going to be in Genesis 22. I'm going to read the passage for you, and then we'll go back and talk about it. Now, it came about... Now, I want you to be listening. And I want you to pray and ask God to help you. Where is Jesus in this passage? Where am I seeing him? Okay. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son. Are the bells going off yet? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Okay, good. All right. He gave your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Most most people, most people, most theologians actually believe that the mountain that he went to is Calvary. Yes. That Jesus died? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Most people believe that that's the mountain that he went to. Okay. It says... Uh, take now your son and then verse 3 so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him Isaac his son and he split wood for an offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him alright so remember in that John passage where he said Abraham heard me and believed me and obeyed me that's what we're seeing here God is speaking to Abraham Abraham shows that he believes him through faith and that faith is expressed through his works. Remember what James said: "Show me your works by your, uh, show me your works without your faith. I'll show you my work faith by my works." Right? Even before this, didn't the angel of the Lord, yeah, Jesus himself, <coughs> this, God himself, this is the, this is the angel of the Lord. We're gonna see it in just a second. Good. All right. So, uh, verse four: On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from his on the third day. Did I ring any bells? Okay, good. All right. Abraham, how many days was Jesus in the... Three days. Okay, good. Right. Abraham said to his young men... These are just ways that... I'm trying to get you to think about the, the 
Christocentric nature of all of Scripture. And what's cool is these are real people that really live. Like this is their life story, and yet their life story is literally a living prophecy of what's going to come better. That's going to be better and come later. Yeah. Now, he said, Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkeys, and I and the lad will go over here, and we will worship and return to you. So Abraham <coughs> took the wood of the offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So he just laid some wood on the back of Isaac, his son. Where do you see Jesus in that, John? Yeah. Laying wood on the back of Isaac, yeah. the begotten son. You don't see it. Come on, guys. Huh? The cross. Wood on his back going up a hill? Yeah, that's a cross. Yeah. Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on his son, and he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, one thing that you can notice right here, they're doing a burnt offering, aren't they? All right, remember now, the the offerings from the book of Leviticus are, are like 400 years past this. God has not given the Levitical code yet, so there aren't Levite priests or anything. What it tells you is they were doing offering before they ever got to the book of Leviticus. And all of those Canaanite, you know the Canaanite people used to burn their kids up in... in Brass caskets and like they used to offer their children the moloch and they like they would do all of these weird sickening sacrifices. Well, where do you think they got the ideas from them? Pagans, I mean, not not pagans. No, no. Well, pagan, but but they had to get the ideas from somewhere. Well, what? Remember what uh, when Abraham when Adam and Eve were naked in the garden? What did God do? He covered their bodies with lambskin. So something died, didn't it? He sacrificed the animals, and through the death of those animals, they covered their nakedness, right? And so there's a theme, there's a pattern going on there. And it's and so these sacrifices, all through the Old Testament, are a constant reminder that the wages of sin is death. 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 And the death does not please God, but the pagans do it to please God. They're gods. They've take what they've done is they've taken the true worship that God had given the people and, and made it for themselves, made it about them. Because they would burn their kids up so that they would have good crops or, or whatever. So <coughs> anyhow, he says, um, verse eight, Abraham said, God will provide for himself a land for the burnt offering my son, so the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of the, where God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. All right, so we got the sacrifice going on. Now, remember what he told his son on the way up the hill. God will supply the lamb. Now, right now, who's the lamb? Isaac, the only begotten son. His only begotten son. Now, is, is Isaac Abraham's only son? No, Ishmael's with his son too, right? Yeah. But what does it mean to say your only son? Your only son. What what made Isaac so special? Because it was him. It was him and his wife. And his blood. Son. Yeah, but there was something different about his. There was something different about Isaac's birth than Ishmael's birth. 
Ishmael was born from Hagar. Why did why did why did he they have because she was dormant or whatever it's called? No, God, God, good. God. Wait a minute. So Abraham's wife had a barren womb. She wasn't able to have babies. Uh, somebody else was like that. Virgin. Yeah. Well, she wasn't a virgin, well, but but she no. but she, she couldn't have. She physically was not able to have a baby. It said the time of women had passed her. She she wasn't. <laughs> She wasn't having menstrual cycles anymore. She was in her 90s, right? She was old. God gave him that child of promise. It's the child of promise. That's why he's the special child. He's the only begotten one. He's the only one of the promise. You see how that works? Yes. All right. Now, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is an angel talking. The angel angel of the Lord. And he said, now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son from me. You know who this is talking? It's Jesus. That's exactly right. One of the teachers said, if you see, it says the Jesus and the Spirit. So, Abraham raised his eyes. He looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is this day in the mount of the Lord. It will be provided. So, what did God do? God sent a lamb and the lamb died in the place of Isaac. So you just have to be a ram stuck in the bottom of it? A ram. A male lamb. Just had to be stuck right there. Yeah. On a coincidence. There was no coincidence. All right. Now, really quickly, we got a few minutes left. I want to go into the New Testament, and I want you to think about a couple of things. All right? Go with me to the book of John, chapter 1. look at John chapter 1 and verse 35. Again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said behold the Lamb of God. Now what do you think that John is talking about there? Behold the Lamb of God. All of those Jewish people knew the story of Abraham and that ram in the bush. All of these Jewish people have been every year, three times a year, going to the temple and carrying their little lamb and killing Fluffy at the at the altar. Right? The wages of sin of death, the wages of sin of death, the wages of sin of death, the wages of sin of death. And now John is saying, look, everybody, there's the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. That one right there. Mm-hmm. Behold the Lamb of God. So when you go now, what you can do is you can take a fourteen hundred year echo and hear Abraham saying to his son, God's going to provide a lamb. And then fourteen hundred years, John the Baptist saying, There he is. And all through the Old Testament, every time you hear about sheep and lambs and shepherds, yeah. it all ties into who Jesus is. He's the good shepherd. 
he lays his life down for the sheep. That's what he says in John 10. Okay, so that was one of the things I wanted to look at. Let's see. Um, turn with me really quickly over to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. <coughs> we're going to look at we're going to we're going to have to be quick with it so we're going to look at starting verse 6, 3 6. It said even so Abraham believed God and it was credited to or reckoned to him for righteousness. He's reminding us that Abraham had saving faith. Sounds like something Jesus said earlier. When Abraham heard my voice and believed me. So Paul is saying, even so Abraham believed God, it was reckoned him righteous. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are the faith of the sons of Abraham. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand in Abraham, saying all of the nations will be blessed in you. So what he's doing, Paul is reminding us that God told Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17 that through your seed all of the nations of the world would be blessed. And now what Paul is reminding us is is before uh, Israel was ever born, before Jacob and Israel was ever born, God had already made a promise to Abraham that his seed would bless the world. All right, now I want you to look. keep going with me. We're going to go to... Alright, verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets aside or the conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And it doesn't say to his seeds, uh, as referring to many, but rather one, and your seed, that is Christ. So what is Paul saying right there? The promised seed is not Isaac. The promised seed is not Jacob. The promised seed is not Abraham. The promised seed, one seed with a capital S, is Jesus himself. Make sense? All right. So, one more thing. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews really quickly. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, since it was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not be ceased to be offered because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a conscience of sin. What he's saying is every year that priest went into the temple and made a sacrifice. And every year he had to go back and do it again. And every year the people had to come back and confess their sins again. Why? Because those sacrifices wasn't doing anything. No. They weren't taking away sin. They were just a reminder that sin needed to be taken away. Okay? So you cannot be forgiven for your sins through the sacrifice of a bull or a goat. The only thing that can get you forgiven for your sins is faith and the work of Christ on the cross. Because He died on that cross and because He paid for your sins, your faith in that is what, where you find your forgiveness. 
your faith and not your believing, but your faith in what Jesus has done for you. You're not trusting in you and your faith. You are trusting in Jesus and His work. And your faith is what makes you able to do that. See how that works? Faith is a doorway. Yeah. Um, I've heard people say it's more like a hose. Like, it's like the connection between God and our it's side. Not you step into yeah. the doorway. Yeah. Yeah. Doorway. yeah, Jesus is the door. So, um, verse 2, otherwise, or verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. All right, who is he talking about there? Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made a body. Uh, in a whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, here, this is, look what it says right here. Then it says, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. <coughs> what is he talking about? All of the Old Testament is written and it all points us to Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once and for all. Mm-hmm. So through his one sacrifice on the cross we found our forgiveness and our completeness. Jesus said, it is finished, not it is up to you. And then one last thing, and then we'll be done. Let's look over in 11. Uh, 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. sacrifice. There's that theme. To which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So what made uh, what made Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? The faith behind it. That's exactly right. Did Cain have did Cain have works? Yeah, he said, "Here you go. Here's some of my fruit." He had works, but those works were not substantiated in faith. Yeah, works without faith is. It's dead works, right? Yeah. He didn't have faith. The thing that made Abraham Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's was Abel came offering in faith. He believed in God. Okay, He was saved. Even the people in the Old Testament were saved just like we are, by faith. All right, one more, a couple more things and we're done. Um, in verse 11, 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was a called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. All right, that's Genesis 17. God called him out of the earth of Chaldees. He went to the land of Canaan to live. Remember? By faith, he was an alien in a land of promise, in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. All right, so a lot of people think that Abraham and the Jews are looking... Or should be looking for the promised land, like in Israel, like the Holy Land in Israel, right? Uh, a lot of dispensational people believe that the Jews are going to go back and resettle the land, and they're going to set up the temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to sit on the throne in the temple, and they're going to offer sacrifice, and etc., etc. A lot of people believe that. That you you work that out yourself, what you believe on that. But this is what it says in verse ten. Abraham was looking for the city which has a foundation whose architect and builder is God. 
So Abraham wasn't looking for a speck of dust over in the <coughs> desert over in the Middle East. Abraham was looking for the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? By faith, Sarah received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead and as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promise of having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For such, uh, for those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. I wanted to, I wanted to show you what. Where was the, oh, look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son, as it was to him who it was said, and Isaac your seed will be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. What does that mean? It means Abraham knew that God had promised that Isaac was the seed of promise. And even if Abraham would have stabbed him on that altar, what was God going to do? Raise him from the dead. Because if he let Isaac die, the promise would be broken. You see how that works? But it's showing us that Abraham had in his mind thoughts of resurrection from the dead. And who do we know is the perfect resurrection from the dead? Jesus himself. And so it's showing us, verse 12, and then we're done, I promise. I always said I'm a Baptist. But therefore there was born even one man of him as good as dead. And it says, as many descendants as the stars in the heavens in their number and in the numeral sand, which is the sand of the seashore. So God had promised Abraham that his children would be more than the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky, right? But remember, this is not talking about his physical children. This is talking about children of faith. Those who are in the seed. Who is the seed? Jesus. And if we're in Christ, we have that faith. And so Abraham was given a promise that he would have more kids than he could ever count. And what was crazy about that was he only had two at that time. Ishmael and Isaac. And he's sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to have more kids in the sand of the seashore and more kids in the stars in the sky? But every one of you in this room, if you are a blood-bought child of God, it is because you are of Abraham's spiritual seed. You are of the faith of Abraham. You have the same faith that Abraham had, the faith that saves people. You see how that works? And that faith is in Christ. And he is the center of this whole book. Amen? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time that you've given us, for a chance to study your word. I do pray that you will challenge each of us to to study, to show ourselves approved, workmen that needeth not be ashamed. I pray that you will help us to learn to appreciate the beauty and the scope of your redemptive story and how you, from the very beginning, had a plan in place to save all of those who are yours. So be with us now in this coming days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.